Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. The supernatural lifestyle and how to operate in the nine spiritual gifts that are listed in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and through 14. Before I do that, I want to read a scripture that popped up into my spirit before I got onto this broadcast. It's in Psalm 74 and beginning with, let's start with verse, verse 9. This is what the psalmist says. We do not see our signs. There is no longer any prophet, nor is there any among us who knows how long. O God, how long will the adversary reproach Will the enemy blaspheme your name forever? The psalmist here is almost like complaining because he's saying we're not seeing the supernatural in our lives anymore. And he says the reason is because there's no longer any prophet and there's nobody among us who knows how long this is going to continue on. Oh God, how long will the adversary reproach? He moves on to say that because there was no move or flow of the supernatural at work in this era of the Old Testament, the adversary, the enemy was reproaching them. The enemy was, was, was mocking or scoffing. The enemy was backing them into a corner and it seemed like there was no way out. The Bible says when there's no signs and wonders and there's no supernatural aspect that is alive and flourishing, in the church the enemy begins to gain ground that's why you've seen in the last 50 years 60 years you know we uh, after world war ii when the voice of healing movement arose and there were tent evangelists and people that were receiving healing all across the earth all across america especially there was a fear of god even if people didn't believe in god there was still this fear of god that was on the people there'd be people that would um, they, they wouldn't they'd, they'd have a beer in their hand watching jimmy swaggered or Oral roberts on television as they ministered to the sick in those days and they had a beer now they were godless people they didn't they didn't go to church they didn't even they 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 had no uh, spiritual fervor in them, but there was a respect. There was some sort of reverence for these men and women of God, Catherine Kuhlman and all that, because they carried the supernatural power of God. In this generation that we're in right now, you know, Judges 2.10, one of the most awe-striking scriptures of the Bible, Judges 2.10 says that another generation, after Joshua died, Moses died, another generation arose that did not know the Lord nor the work that he had done for Israel and because they had no exposure to the aspect to that aspect of 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 um of God, the, the supernatural power of God at work in the earth, there was this lack of reverence. That's why the book of Judges is literally just this vicious sick cycle of people turning away from God because there was no power at work, then God raising up a judge, miracle signs and wonders happening, the people of God coming and flocking around that judge in repentance and in faith towards God, then that judge died, and then the people went, they backslid, they backslid, they went astray in the heart again until God raised another judge, and then they came back to God. Whenever there was a evident move of the Holy Ghost through Gideon, through Samson, through the other judges, Deborah and Barak, there was this influx of people that 
we're gravitating back towards God because when signs and wonders take place, I don't care what people have to say about the ministry of signs and wonders. When a genuine sign and wonder takes place on the earth, there is genuine fear for God that comes into the hearts of men. We see that in the book of Acts. The Bible says nobody even dared join the church, yet they held them in high esteem and great fear of God swept throughout the entire region. The Bible says, and many signs and wonders were done by the hands of the apostles and fear of God swept throughout all of Jerusalem. The Bible says when Peter and John lifted up that poor man that was lame, paralyzed at the gate called Beautiful, when they said silver and gold we have not, but what we do have we give unto you. See, the early church, that wasn't a confession of poverty. A lot of people think that that was Peter and John saying the church was poor. Actually, it wasn't. It was just saying we either they didn't have money on them or B, another possible explanation for that is that there's there wasn't enough money in the earth then to cure paralysis. That Peter and John were looking at his actual desire, which was to walk again. And they said, silver and gold, money's not going to help you walk again. But such as we do have, we give unto thee. The early church understood that they were not just flesh and blood. That they were not just robots marching on in the earth. That they were not... Uh, confined to the Old Testament way of doing things where the Holy Spirit can come upon certain individuals at times to accomplish a certain task. They understood that we carry the power and presence of the Holy Ghost and we have a, the authority to use the name of Jesus at will to provoke a flow of signs and wonders. And so they said, such as we do have. There's too many Christians on the earth that they don't even understand what they do have. Acts 1.8, after ye receive the Holy Ghost, ye shall receive power. You're going to receive power after that you, you receive the Holy Ghost. Christianity isn't, isn't just this, this uh, religious statutes that we must keep and uphold in our lives. Ordinances that we must follow because if we want to make heaven, that's what we have to do these things if heaven's going to be our reality. That's not what Christianity is. Christianity, John G. Lake said it perfectly. He said it's partaking of the divine life. It's partaking of the divine nature. Christianity in its simplest form is receiving God's life in you there's too many people that they quote that they read it on the book they read it off the screen on Sunday morning when they sing some nice songs but they don't actually walk in the reality of that statement that I'm not what I used to be I'm not flesh and blood any longer I'm not just a human being I no longer regard myself as according to the flesh I've been crucified with Christ and now Christ who is the power of God and the wisdom of God he is at work in and through me Philippians 2:10 or 2:13 says it this way that God is at work in you and through you to accomplish his good pleasure so if you have this view of Christianity that it's just you following God hopelessly wandering the earth that uh, knowing that one day you're going to make heaven and spend eternity with God. You'll be saved. You'll make heaven. But you're not going to have the supernatural lifestyle that God desires for every one of his children to walk in. He's a supernatural God. We've been created in his image. We should live supernatural lives. If he's our father and the Bible says we are the offspring of the divine nature, then we should also, we should also be demonstrating this divine nature, this divine power 
power everywhere we go. It, it, this, this whole notion of signless Christianity should not even be a thing. There shouldn't be Sundays that go by where there's no Nobody getting saved, nobody getting healed, nobody getting delivered. There shouldn't be weeks and months that go by where God is not moving through you to rescue someone from the clutch of sin and hell and raise them up to the table of God where they can taste and see of the power of God themselves. Christianity is not... It's not to be bunched in with the rest of the religions of this world where Islam is just a set of rituals, a set of routines, a set of, uh, of religious ordinances that they uphold with the hopes that their good deeds are going to outweigh their bad deeds and one day Allah will shine on them good favor and they'll make heaven and they'll spend it. That's not what Christianity is. We're not Buddhists. We're not just, we hope we found the way of peace. We're not uh, Hindus. We're not people that... that pray that we've we've found the way we jesus said i am the way i am the truth i am the life we're not hopelessly wandering through life hoping that one day we're gonna get it right we we, when we received Christ, everything that God is came to live in you. Man, if you would catch that simple statement and start to walk in the reality of it, you aren't going to walk around like the third guy from the left on the evolution chart, downcast, disturbed, constantly complaining. You're going to walk with a new stature. That's why Ephesians 4, Paul says that the gifts of the ministries the, the gifts of the office of ministries that God has given to the church, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher, they are for what? They're for the edifying of the saints, for the work of the ministry, till we all come to the what? Unity of faith and the fullness of the stature of Jesus Christ. The reason why we listen to ministers and we, we receive from the word from them. It's not just so we can be encouraged. It's not just so we can receive some level of comfort to get us through the work. There is a supernatural charging taking place whereby you are growing more and more into the fullness of the stature of Christ. What does that mean? The stature of Christ, where you begin to walk like Christ. You begin to talk like Christ. That's what separates Christianity from all the other religions. Muhammad died and he stayed dead. You can go and locate his tomb and they march around it every year seven times at Mecca there's the pilgrimage that they must take as a Muslim and they got to go and visit his bones that are in Mecca Saudi Arabia Muhammad died he never claimed that you can do miracles he never claimed that he did a miracle he never he never claimed he never claimed that uh, there was any supernatural aspect to the whole thing that we are just to blindly follow the statutes that he gave out and that was it. Buddha came, he wrote some nice things down, giving people some hope or whatnot, but he never claimed to do miracles. There's no claim for supernatural power working through Buddha. There's no self-control in Buddha, obviously. There was nothing supernatural about Buddha. Jesus came and not only did he exemplify the life of God on the earth, not only did he project and demonstrate signs and wonders in that he went about doing good, healing all, that were were oppressed by the devil but the bible says in john 14 12 now i'm going back to god from where i came and i'm going to give you power and he that believes on me these works that you have seen me do ye shall do and greater work shall you do the difference between christianity and every other religion in this world is that their founders died and stayed dead and never projected the idea on their followers that they would ever walk in 
any type of supernatural lifestyle. But Jesus, Jesus not only walked a supernatural life, when he died, he said, I didn't do this so you can look at me and be wowed and say, man, well, that wasn't it great? Jesus gave us a snippet of what heaven will look like. Jesus said, on this earth, if you'll believe in me, after the Holy Ghost comes on you, the same power that dwelt in me, that enabled me to cast out demons, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to do all the works that you've seen me do, that will come on you. And the works that you saw me do, Jesus didn't stop at saying, you'll do the same ones, but don't expect even greater. He said, you're going to do greater works. You're going to do more of it. You're going to do more of it. You're going to have that work expanded throughout the entire earth so christianity is not just us looking back to what jesus did christianity is we look back to the cross and then from the cross we move on to pentecost we don't stay at the cross as real as genuine christians we look to the cross we honor the cross we cling to the cross but we don't stay at the cross in that jesus didn't he didn't even stay at the cross he came down from the cross then he didn't stop at the tomb people have a tomb religion everything's dead they just go to they go to the tomb uh, in Israel, in Jerusalem, and they look down and they, oh, praise the Lord. They start weeping. I can't believe he, he died and he went there. Well, that's not a weeping occasion. The tomb is empty. But you understand the tomb is empty. Jesus didn't even stay in the tomb. He moved from the cross to the tomb, out the tomb, and then went up to heaven and said, now I'm going to pray the Father. And in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Ghost came as a result of Jesus' prayer. We have to move from the cross to the tomb to now Pentecost, where we are alive, where there's a supernatural aura to your life, where other people are looking to you and saying, there's something different about you. I've been to other, I've been to some churches, I've been to some mosques, I've been to some temples, but nothing strikes me the way you strike me when you speak your words because it's not by might or by strength there is another spirit the holy ghost working through you to reach this generation that's why this generation at large doesn't want anything to do with the church and i'm not saying they don't they don't want to do any, anything to do with good churches i'm talking about there's a lot of churches where they've they have a tomb religion they have a cross religion there's absolutely nothing going on there's absolutely no power at work and so they have i don't blame them i wouldn't even want to stay I wouldn't even want to stay in that environment. I, if I'm going to read about a supernatural God in the Bible, then I'm going to, I'm not a, I'm not a hypocrite. I want to see what you're telling me I should be seeing from this book. And so people, if you look at the stats, there has been a great turning away from churches. But look at the type of churches that they're turning away from. They're the same churches that I would turn away from. But there also is stat they're not trying to show you. The, 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 the statistic they're not bringing out and projecting on people is that although there's a falling away from those churches, there is a massive revival and an awakening and a mass influx of souls that are coming in to good Holy Ghost, miracle signs and wonders, uh, churches, churches that are not shrinking back from declaring the whole counsel of God, churches that are not holding back from declaring all things from this book that are profitable to people. And there is a desire, there's a hunger in this generation where they, they know they're created for more. They know they're, they're not just flesh and blood. This isn't it. There's a hunger, there's a desperation in people's hearts knowing that this isn't it. And so if we don't show them the way, where do you think they're going to go? They're going to turn to the occult. They're going to turn to other, other uh, religions. They're going to turn to other places. They're going to turn to satanic schemes and vices and tactics. 
Because people crave power. We serve a God of power. We are his children. We crave, there's an innate desire for power. And if the church doesn't provide that power to the people by the Holy Ghost, they're going to look elsewhere. And that's when you get into problems. That's when the Bible says in the last days, many will take heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Then you have people in the church that say, well, you know, we're a word-only church. We don't. You can't be a word-only church and not have the power of God in display. People, well, I'm a spirit-only church. You can't have the spirit of God in display unless you're a word church. There's people that they, they, they try to travel on the extremes, the extremities. Well, I'm a word-only church. I'm a spirit-only. If you have too much of the word, you'll dry up. If you have too much of the spirit and none of the word, you'll blow up. If you have the word and the spirit together, a lot of the word and a lot of the spirit together, you start to grow up. And I believe that's what we're starting to see in this, in this era of the church. We're seeing this joining together of the people that were all word, 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 but we don't, we don't tithe into that. They're starting to have a hunger for that. And then the people that were all spirit, spirit, spirit are seeing there's no, there's no, um, there's no good, there's no teaching that's holding everything together. These moves of God are coming up and leaving. And so there's going to be this, uh, this, this infusion, this, this joining together of both camps and the word and the spirit are going to meet together and we're going to see a great awakening such as we've never seen before. And so I read this in Psalm 74 to show you that if there's no signs and wonders, that's when you start to see people mock the church. That's why you can see CNN mock the church. They mock us as, a, you know, you had the, uh, a, a woman of God say that there is no flu season for a child of God because we have Psalm 91 to stand on. And then you had the view ladies, the ladies on the view who I, anyways, I won't say that. The ladies on the view that started to uh, criticize her and call her crazy, that she was irrational. And they mocked her. They mocked her openly. And so when the power of God's not on display, people can mock at will and they can continue on mocking and there's nothing to, to restrain and there's nothing to hold them back. But when there, is a, when there is a move of God, you know, they can mock Jesus all they wanted until he started to raise the dead. And then the Bible says they couldn't deny Lazarus had been raised from the dead for everyone knew who he was. Acts 4, when the lame guy was raised from the dead in Acts chapter 3, the Sanhedrin said, we can't deny that a genuine sign and wonder, a notable miracle has been done in our midst and everyone in Jerusalem has been a witness of it. So there's no denying. You can, you can argue somebody's uh, you can argue an argument, but you can't argue experience. A man with an experience is not at the mercy of a man with an argument. And I believe, this is why I felt prompted by the Holy Ghost to do this broadcast. I believe we're about to enter in to, uh, to, to a new level. Such as the world, such as the church has never experienced. Even from the book of Acts. Remember in Acts, the Bible calls it the early reign. And the Bible says in the book of Isaiah that the early rain and the latter rain in the last days are going to come together. So I believe Acts 2 was the early rain of the outpouring of the Spirit. But we are in the latter rain. And I believe the latter rain is going to be a joining together of the early rain. What we saw in Acts and even more that we're going to see in these last days approaching the return of Jesus Christ. I want to read something first and foremost from... Uh, before I get into these nine gifts, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, listen to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 1. I, brethren, Paul speaking, I came to you. I didn't come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, 
and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching were not in persuasive words of human wisdom. I didn't try to rationalize it. I didn't try to persuade people through logical reasoning. I didn't try to come up with some PowerPoint presentation in order to persuade people of the authenticity of the message that I was carrying. But I came in the demonstration of the Spirit and of the power of God that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Romans chapter 15 and verse 19, Paul says that, I, in mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Holy Ghost, I have fully preached the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul walked in signs and wonders. There was nothing about the life of Paul that was natural. You take the supernatural out of the Bible, you strip the miracle signs and wonders and healings out of the Bible, in the Old Testament, in the Gospels, and in the New Testament. You don't have the same Bible. You have like 80% of the Bible, I'd say, 70% of the Bible removed from it. The Bible Bible is a catalog of supernatural events. And so when you read it, if you read it with genuine, unbiased eyes and a heart, you there's no way to read it and not cultivate a hunger within your own self to see these things at work in your own life. Why is it that we don't see the supernatural work at large? in certain places, in certain, in people's lives, and some, you might be watching this today, and you're saying, I've never seen a miracle in my entire life, I don't know why, this guy's reading from the Bible, he's, he's not making up his own word, why am I not seeing it, I'll tell you why, because at large, it's not taught in the, in churches, this, whatever you're not taught, you'll never walk in, whatever you are not adequately taught and preached from the Bible, you're never going to experience or taste of that blessing from the Bible, Jesus, the most Multitudes came to hear him and be healed by him of their infirmities. So they didn't just come to be healed. He had to teach them God's will concerning healing. And when they were taught, then they began to see the healing power of God at work in their midst. And so whatever you're not taught from the Bible, you will never walk in that level or in that blessing that God desires you to walk in. You know, Isaiah 8.18, one of my favorite scriptures says, I and the children whom the Lord has given to us, we are for signs and wonders. If you're a child of God, you have within yourself a, the, the, the Holy Ghost that empowers you to be for signs and wonders, to show forth signs and wonders. So I said it before, you remove the supernatural from this book, you're not left with the same book. You're not left with the same book. You take out the miracles from the Gospels. You're not left with the same Jesus. I want to see Jesus as he really is. And then I want to see myself as what the Bible says I really am. I don't want to just take in whatever some backslidden preacher told me about myself. That ultimately we're all just wretched, deprived human beings. Nothing good that dwells in us. We should just be glad we're making heaven and that is it. That life's going to be full of tragedy and horror and tor ter torture and terror and, and, and unfortunate events. But, you know, if we'll just persevere. That's not what the Bible says about you. Bible says when you were joined to the Lord, you became one spirit with him. And now, because we're one spirit with him, we are to show forth. The Bible says we have this treasure in this earthen vessel so on the outside, we still look like earth, flesh and blood. We still look like everybody else. But there's a treasure in you. And I want this broadcast to unlock the treasure of God in you. And that's why I want to go through not only supernatural lifestyle. You know, the Holy Ghost is powerful. But His power manifests in a certain way. 
It's not just we need the fire of God. We need the power of God in, at work in our lives. Okay, that's great. I agree. I just spent 30 minutes telling people that. But how does the Holy Ghost manifest himself in our lives? What is a key indicator that the Holy Spirit is doing something through me? How does the Holy Spirit, uh, how can we discern the abilities of the Holy Spirit in us? How does God work through people? That's where the gifts of the Holy Spirit come in place. Because those gifts, literally, if you look at it in the Greek, are just, the other way to say gifts is charis, which is uh, a grace. These are the, the graces, or the way the Holy Spirit graces people. What is a grace? It's a supernatural empowerment, supernatural ability. So another way you can translate the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit is the nine abilities of the Holy Spirit through people. These are supernatural abilities that God gives people to do what? There are, let me get through it. There are three categories of the Holy Spirit. There are the gifts of power. That is the gift of faith, the working of miracles, and the gifts of healings. There are the inspiration gifts. These are the, um, the uh, inspiration gifts. The gift of prophecy, the gift of tongues, and the gift of interpretation of tongues. And then there is the revelation gifts. These are the gift of the word of knowledge, not the gift of knowledge, the gift of the word of knowledge, the gift of the word of wisdom, and the discerning of spirits. The gift of power, the, the power gifts, faith, working of miracles, and healings, these enable a man or a woman to act like God on the earth, to do God's work on the earth. The inspiration gifts, tongues, interpretation of tongues, and the gift of prophecy empower someone or an individual to speak like God under the utterance or the... the, the um, to speak like God, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Then, the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, and the uh, discerning of spirits enable somebody to think like God. So the gifts of the Holy Spirit are abilities that God imparts to a person to think like Him, to act like Him, and to speak like Him. Just like, for example, I have electricity in my house. Going back to what I was saying before, that there are people that say, we need the power of God. How many of you know, when you got the Holy Ghost, you receive power from heaven? Yes, but it's important to know what that power does practically through our lives so that we can better learn how to cooperate with the Spirit, yield to Him, so that these gifts can operate fully through us at a, at a greater measure. And so just knowing that we have power in this house, I have electricity running through my walls, that's not enough to benefit from that electricity. I have to plug in the light if I want to benefit from that electricity. You have to use appliances, a microwave, a, an oven, a stove, a fridge to benefit from that electricity. And so you have electric power running through you right now. You are charged with power. Whether you feel like it or not, there is Holy Ghost power running through you right now because you've become a partaker of God's divine nature. The Bible says very clearly that the same works you see me do, ye shall do and greater because I'm going to go to the Father and I'm going to pray the Father that he sends you the Holy Ghost, the helper, the same helper that's enabled Jesus to do what he did. That helper is going to come and enable you to do 
what, what God's calling you to do. And so you have this great power flowing through you, but now we need to learn how to plug in the outlets in order to benefit from that power. And these nine gifts of the Spirit are the nine appliances that we can plug into that electricity running through us to better serve the people around us and also they profit us. Remember, 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to the profit of all. So these gifts, a lot of people say, well, we don't flow in the gifts of the Holy Spirit because, you know, um, I've seen a lot of error and I've seen a lot of abusive uh abuse in in those areas and so i've seen a lot of people never come back to church because they saw a bad uh, they had a bad experience at a church once where tongues was overused or somebody um was prophesying falsely and so they never so we don't really venture out into that area the gifts of the holy spirit when you operate properly in them when you use them in proper motivation, which is always the motivation for the operation of these use, is to be love. That's why 1 Corinthians 13 separates 12 and 14. And Paul, he wasn't like getting off track. Oh, by the way, like Paul had ADD and he said, oh, by the way, there's this love thing that's even better than the gifts. He was saying that love is better than the gifts. He was saying that love is literally to be the motivational factor in the use of these gifts. That if you're not operating in love, these gifts are not going to function properly. And if they don't function properly, they're not going to bring profitability to people but when the gifts function properly first corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7 says that the manifestation of the gifts are given to the profit of all they're going to bring profiting i i love a man of god his name's john osteen some of you know his son joel osteen and whatever you think of him that's up to you but i'm going to tell you his father john osteen a great man of god and Joel Osteen's a great man of God too. And I know there's a lot of things that he said that, you know, whatever. You could take and pull apart a, a man's past all you want. But the fact is that the, he is bringing the gospel to people all around the nation of the United States with his night of hope or whatever he calls his crusades. His father, John Osteen, uh, who, who was a phenomenal preacher, he, on a Sunday morning live service, live on television, would call people out in the gifts. Call people out, you know, by a word of knowledge. Brother, would you stand up in the aisle? And then through the word of knowledge, just divulge information that could not have been known any other way other than by the Holy Spirit. And then minister faith to them. And then let's say they were sick. He'd, he'd operate in the gifts of healing right on camera. Call people out that were in wheelchairs. Command them to stand up. Work them, pull them out of wheelchairs. Work a miracle right on live television. Which, by the way, if, he's not, if you're not fully confident in the operational use of the gifts of the Spirit in your ministry, maybe not a best, best thing to go live on television. But this guy knew God. And on live TV would pull people out of wheelchairs. When that happened... It didn't cause his church to shrink. It caused his church to explode. I've, I've seen videos of him when they were 250, then 500. He'd call people out of gift, then 2,500, then 5,000. Then now they, they have a church that seats like 25,000 people on Sunday morning. That all came to pass through the proper use of these gifts. And so don't let some bad experience or bad encounter totally ruin your outlook on these, these precious gifts. The Bible doesn't call them curses of the Holy Spirit. They're gifts of the Holy Spirit. 
And God doesn't give gifts that lead people backwards. Whenever God bestows a gift, it always pushes them forward. Always pushes them forward. So these gifts of the Holy Ghost are to the benefit of the church, not only as a body, but also individual members of the church. could tell you story after story of how these gifts have blessed me personally, have helped me to avoid certain things. You know, I was preaching one place and there was a lady that came. And she was sick in her body. Sorry, she wasn't sick in her body. She came up saying she felt like she was like messed up in her head. And I I don't know if she had migraines or whatever. Anyways, by the discerning of spirits, I realized it wasn't a biological problem. There was a spiritual problem. I saw there was a demon at work, cast the demon out of her, came back. I feel she left saying, I feel like I'm like, uh, I feel like I'm four. I'm not carrying the people. I feel like I was carrying three people walking into here and I feel like I'm featherweight now. That was through the discerning of spirits. It helped somebody. These gifts help. They never, they never uh, harm. The abuse of the gifts will harm. But if, and like I heard a man of God say, there's no abuse of the gift in any, situ- in any situation or in any service that can't immediately be corrected. And if the person doesn't be, it can't be corrected, throwing them out won't correct, uh, by throwing them out, you'll correct the whole situation. So that whole excuse of, well, I, I don't venture out in the gifts because, uh, you know, sometimes there's been abuses and I don't want to ever get. There's nothing that happens in a situation that can't within that same service be corrected. And if the person can't be corrected, throw them out and, and that will correct the situation. There's nothing that can't be brought into alignment. So that's not an excuse to not operate in these gifts. The, bo- the Bible is full of God's supernatural dealings with his people. And these gifts are not actually, you know, seven of the nine gifts are actually evident in the Old Testament. You can see these gifts at work in the Old Covenant. Seven of the nine. Had one person say, um, which, which you, know, you know, Jesus didn't speak in tongues. So obviously that's not a... Jesus didn't speak in tongues and he didn't interpret. But he operated in seven of the nine of the nine gifts. And in Mark 16, he tells the people that you will speak with other tongues, saying that there's two gifts that are going to come after I'm gone, called the gifts and interpretation of uh, the tongues and interpretation of tongues. So we're going to come after he was gone uh, to benefit the New Testament church. But seven of these nine gifts are evident in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament. So I want to go through them very quickly. Um, and then we're going we're gonna to finish up today in record timing. Because I, I feel like if the video is an hour and 45 minutes, I say this all the time and I end up going an hour and 45 minutes, but if the video is an hour and 45 minutes, people tend to like, ah, I don't have all that much time. So I wanted to start condensing these videos so that people will, will watch the full broadcast and it'll help them as a result. Let's go through the nine gifts of the Spirit. I want to start out with the word of wisdom. These are the revelation gifts. The word of wisdom the word of knowledge, and the discerning of spirits. Number one, the word of wisdom. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, to another is given the word of wisdom. What is, you can learn a lot about these gifts by learning what they are not. That's one way you can learn about uh, something is learning what, it, what it's not. What is 
not the gift of the word of wisdom. Number one, it is not a natural gift that makes people wise. It's not people's ability to study. It's not they make wise choices and so God must have given them the word of wisdom. All of these gifts have supernatural uh, there's a supernatural aura on each one of these gifts. All of these gifts function supernaturally. The word of wisdom is not a natural gift. A lot of the times, especially throughout, uh, uh, before the revelation of these gifts came in Howard Carter, which was in the early 19th century, uh, 20th century, in the early 1900s, a lot of times they tried to naturalize these gifts, saying that the word of wisdom was just someone's wise intellect. It was their ability to... To, to invest their and consecrate their 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 minds their their wit to kingdom service that that's what that's what the gift of the word of wisdom was that's not what it is because if that were the case anybody can do it at any time but i want to remind you that the gifts of the holy spirit are distributed to each and every individual according to his will that's in 1 corinthians 12:11 the self and same spirit distributeth to each one individually each gift as he wills. So these are gifts bestowed on by the Holy Ghost at his will, not at our will. So if it was just the ability to make wise choices, then anybody could do it at any time at their own will. This is not the gift of wisdom. It's not what Daniel had or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had in Daniel chapter 1 where it says, as for these four Hebrew boys, God gave them wisdom and understanding and knowledge. That's not what the, word of, the gift of the word of wisdom is. It is, not, um, the, it is not the gift of all of God's wisdom. That's another important thing. That when one is operating in the word of wisdom, that they automatically have access to all of God's wisdom. I want to remind you, it is the word of wisdom, meaning it is a fragment. It is a fragment of God's wisdom. It is a part of God's wisdom. It is a, 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 a section of God's wisdom that's given to men. What is, what is the gift of the word of wisdom? So we found out what it is not. Now what is the word of wisdom? It is a supernatural revelation of the mind and purpose of God communicated by the Holy Spirit. The, the revelation of the mind and purpose of God communicated by the Holy Spirit. So the revelation, the gift of the word of wisdom is the revelation of God's purpose on the earth. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 talks about the hidden wisdom of God, which is hidden before times, but now has been revealed to us by the, the, uh, by, through the writings of Paul, the epistles, and all that. What was the hidden wisdom of God? It, it was the future. The, the Old Testament saints, the prophets specifically, all operated in this gift of the word of wisdom. A lot of people think that uh, the gift of prophecy is what the what gift the prophets operated in in the Old Testament, but it's actually the word of wisdom that the prophets were operating in. What what why do I say that? The word of wisdom, the wisdom of God, is the the Bible calls it the hidden wisdom. It the wisdom of God is that which is not known by man. It is it is a there's, there is a, a covering in dealing with the, the wisdom of God. There is, it, it's not something that could be naturally grasped. It's not something that could be naturally attained to. And as such, 
the Old Testament prophets were tapping into this gift of the word of wisdom when they were tapping into the mind and purposes of God that were to be revealed in the future. So it's not, it's not having the wisdom to deal with a certain situation. That's not what the word of wisdom is. The word of wisdom is having access to a snippet of a forthcoming event or purpose. The future is the hidden wisdom of God. When God, by His Spirit, moves on a person to operate into the word of wisdom, you are having access to a fragment of a future event or a future purpose that God is going to work in the earth. What's the difference between prophecy and the word of wisdom? Why can't we just call, you know, they're prophets. Obviously, they prophesied. And in their prophecies, they were referring to future events and future things and future uh, people that would rise up. Daniel, he was able to predict kingdoms that would rise up centuries before they even... They, they, they were even a thought in somebody's mind before any of those things were realized. Prophecy, now get this, there is the general sense of the word prophecy and there is a specific sense of the word prophecy. The general sense of prophecy is, the general sense of the word prophecy, hold on, I have written down my notes here. This is important, I was reading this yesterday. That's right. The general sense of the, pro of, of the word prophecy is in, you know, when you read the Isaiah, Jeremiah, these were the major prophets, Ezekiel, they prophesied in that they were foretelling or they were predicting future events that would come. That's the general sense of the word prophecy. Within their prophecies, they had the word of wisdom at work. They had... Um, the gift of prophecy at work in, some, in many of their prophecies. What do I mean by that? When Jeremiah, when Isaiah was prophesying, Isaiah 53, that he, Jesus would come and bear our sickness and carried our pains, he was predicting that there would be a Messiah that would come and absorb the penalty of sickness in his body. There was a predictive aspect in the general sense of the prophecy of Isaiah in Isaiah 53. But that specific gift at work in Isaiah 53 was the word of wisdom because it was predicting, it was foretelling something to come. It was, it was access, Isaiah's access to a future event that would take place. Now, in the general sense of Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 53, if you study 1 Corinthians 14.3, it says prophecy is for edification, for exhortation, and for comfort. Isaiah 53, in a general sense, brings exhortation, it edifies people, and it brings comfort. So it is, you can call it a prophecy, but the predictive element of it was the gift of the word of wisdom at work. Where do we see this gift at work in the Old Testament? Enoch, Jude verse 7, Enoch prophesied, seventh of Adam, saying, I see the Lord coming with ten thousand and thousands of his saints. That was the word of wisdom. Enoch, by having a snippet 
of a revelation of a future event, which was the coming of the Lord, thousands of years before Isaiah, before Moses, before Jesus, before anything, before there was ever even apocalyptic literature, Enoch had access to see the coming of the Lord. That was the word of, of wisdom. It was a supernatural revelation of the mind and purpose of God in a future event. We see Moses prophesying of, see, that's where people get it wrong. I want to clarify this further because I don't know if I was very clear before. When you say the word, I was prophesying, and we relate that to predictive prophecy, predictive uh, forthtellings. The word, the general sense of the word prophesying could contain the word of wisdom. But when we say, oh, he prophesied something and it came to pass, that wasn't the specific gift of prophecy that's listed in 1 Corinthians 12, which the purpose of that has no revelation aspect to it. The gift of prophecy in 1 Corinthians 12 has no revelation aspect to it. It is for exhortation, edification, and comfort. It doesn't bring forth anything new. It doesn't bring forth something to come. The gift of prophecy, specifically in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, has no predictive aspect to it. But when someone says, I was prophesying, they're using it in the general sense in that the word prophecy, to prophesy, could have a predictive uh, aspect to it. But that's not the gift of prophecy specifically used in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. So I had to clarify that. So Mo Moses prophesied of the coming prophet that would come, which was Jesus. Abraham heard from God that he would be the multitude of many nations. That was the wisdom of God, the, the word of God's wisdom downloaded into Abraham's spirit that was allowed him to see a multitude of nations coming from him. He had access to the mind and purpose of God. Isaiah 53, I said it. Isaiah, by the word of wisdom, saw the suffering Messiah. Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel saw the valley full of dry bones coming back to life again. That was the rebirth of national Israel and spiritual Israel, which is taking place. It took place in 1948. Ezekiel was seeing that happen thousands of years before. Before uh, we saw it happen in the news in 1948, well not me, but my grandparents for sure, that was the word of wisdom at work in Ezekiel. The prophets, the, those that stood in the office of the prophet, operated by this word of wisdom. God reveals the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah to Abraham. That was the word of wisdom. God was revealing his purpose and his plans for Sodom and Gomorrah. In the New Testament, Jesus prophesied concerning the destruction of the temple. In Matthew chapter 24, in 70 AD, the temple was destroyed. That was the gift of the word of wisdom at work in Jesus, foretelling a coming event. Jesus' end time prophecies. The prophet Agabus predicting a worldwide famine in the book of Acts, that there'd be a famine that would strike the entire earth. That was the word of wisdom at work in Agabus, the prophet revealing something that was to come. The book of Revelation is full of the word of wisdom. It's the plan and purpose of God downloaded into John on the island of Patmos, into his spirit, to write down in the book everything he saw that was those were forthtelling. Those were things that were to come. Those were events that had not transpired that God, by the Spirit, 
And through the working of this word of wisdom, this gift of the spirit downloaded into John's spirit to see and to write uh, these things down. So through this gift, God reveals things to come in the world, in cities, in regions, and in peoples. Number two, the gift of the word of knowledge. Now this one's one of my favorite. It's the gift of the word of knowledge once again, is not the gift of knowledge. It is not somebody being smarter than other people. It's not your ability to learn quicker. It's not somebody's uh, witty mind. They just know how to grasp things real quickly. That's not what the word of knowledge is. Remember, there's nothing natural about these gifts. All of these gifts function in a supernatural fashion. It is not your ability to process knowledge, nor your ability to remember knowledge. It is not being able to adequately hold to the full knowledge of the scripture it's not being able to handle the word of god properly those are all things that you have to learn to develop your own self those are things you develop see the gifts of the holy spirit are is not something you develop or something you work up these are supernatural endowments these are things that come on you and they in a moment's time uh enable you like i said before to think like god to act like god and to talk like god without any effort on your own so this is not something you whip up this is not you know i've studied so long i think i got the word of knowledge now no that's not what the word of knowledge is the word of knowledge is defined by the revelation of the existence or nature of a person a thing or the knowledge of an event given by inspiration of the holy spirit so the word of wisdom is a fragment of god's knowledge of the future the word of knowledge is a fragment of god's knowledge of the past which is a perfect knowledge so when god gives someone a word of knowledge that person has access now to the mind of god concerning a person an individual an event or a thing uh concerning the past of that thing the concerning the past of that individual i'll give you an example i was in a service preaching and i felt in my spirit to Call someone out as I called her out. As I approached her, I got downloaded into my spirit that she has OCD. This is what she does every single morning. This is the medication she uses. And, and, and it, it shocked her because it was her first time in church. She had never been to church. She had never heard me before. I'd never met her before. And all of a sudden, all these things are being downloaded into my spirit. That's not me having access of her future. It's not me having access... Uh, to something she's going to do in the future. That's me by the mind of God. God downloaded into my spirit a fragment of the knowledge of her past. And a lot of times this gift uh, will stimulate other gifts. You know, if I come to somebody and they're sick in their body and by the word of knowledge, I'm able to say, you have this, this, and this in your body. And uh, doctors don't know what's up and whatever. Oftentimes that that's going to generate a faith in her that'll kickstart or activate a gift of healing to receive healing from God. I was just doing a service two Fridays ago. A lady came to the altar. I said, I told her, you've been to a doctor in recent time. You've gone to doctors and they've done all kinds of, never met her in my life. Done all, and she looked healthy on the outside. All kinds of diagnostics. She's done every, they've done everything to you. They don't know how to locate the problem. And uh, there's still pain in your body. But I'm here to tell. And I just started to, to minister along the, word, the lines of the word of knowledge. As I did that, she like started weeping. She comes to tell me after. I've been to doctors the last three weeks or two weeks. 
They've not been able to determine what's wrong with me. They've not been able to locate the problem in me. They've gone through all kinds of sorts of tests and, and whatnot. And nothing, nothing's been working for me. They've given me antibiotics. It hasn't helped. It's only made me feel worse. But tonight, as you minister, it, faith came alive in her. She got delivered. She got healed. She got set free. All through the functioning of this word of knowledge in my life, through me, it stimulated faith for her to receive healing. Because the word of knowledge is God downloading something, a piece of information in you that could not have been known any other way. It's not something that, it's not like you overheard it in the grapevine. It's not like you've, you, 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 you know, you like to be in everybody's business and then you just play it off as, well, the Lord's speaking. That's not what the word of knowledge is. It's not something that could be received through the natural senses. That means it's not something you've seen. It's not something you've heard. It's not something you've come across with your own mind. It's something that was downloaded by the Spirit for the purpose of the edifying of someone else. So the word of wisdom deals with the future. The word of knowledge deals with the past. The word of knowledge will reveal facts concerning people. You know Saul's donkey, when he had lost his donkeys, Samuel, by the Spirit, was able to locate where the donkeys were. That's a functioning of the word of knowledge in the Old Testament. The word of knowledge reveals tactics or plans. Elisha did this when he was revealing the king of Assyria's plans. When uh, he had, you know, they were having secret meetings in their own council, in their own chambers. But the Bible says every time they strategized to attack Israel, Elisha would tell the king of Israel exactly the strategy of war that they'd have. That was by the word of knowledge. He wasn't in those chambers. He wasn't like secretly spying them out. This was the Holy Spirit revealing to Elisha exactly what that king was doing, secretly plotting against Israel. And through it, he revealed the tactics of their enemies. And as a result of it, they were spared. They were spared of any harm or hurt. Number three, the word of knowledge will encourage people. God revealed to Elijah when he was discouraged and he was hiding out in the caves, saying, "All the pe oh, there is no prophets left. Everybody's abandoned you. Everybody's gone against you. I alone am left to serve God. God said, no, actually, there's 7,000 people that haven't bowed to Baal nor kissed his face. God showed Elijah, this was a word of God's knowledge. It showed Elijah that you're not alone. And as a result... As a result, it, it, um, it encouraged him. Number four, it reveals God's love to people. Jesus gets to the woman at the well, and in John chapter 4, starts to tell, you've had five husbands, the one you're now with is, your sixth, is, is not your husband, and that's the sixth man you're with. And um, you've said well, you've spoken well in saying that. She said, Lord, I perceive that you're a prophet. That was a word of knowledge. Jesus had never met the lady and remember, everything Jesus did, he didn't do through the power of him being inherently empowered as son of God. Jesus did all of his works, all of his signs, all of his wonders were done by the Holy Ghost. He, Philippians 2, he emptied himself of his glory. He emptied himself of his omnipresence, of his omnip uh, omnipotency, of his omniscience. He emptied himself of his God factor. That's not to say he wasn't the son of God. He was just the son of, just as much the son of God at 25 as he was at 30. Just as much the son of God at 30 as he was at 33. Uh, just as much the son of God at 12 as he was at 32. He was the son of God in position, but the power that he operated by 
was by the power of the Holy Spirit. He didn't do any miracles, signs, and wonders until he was baptized in the Holy Spirit in Matthew chapter 3 and in Luke chapter 3. Then he returned in the power of the Spirit, and then signs and wonders began to happen in his life. He wasn't, there was no record of him doing miracles in, uh, before. He was, he was baptized in the Spirit in Luke 3. There's no records of him healing people before that. All of those works began to take place because he, after he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. So you can't look at Jesus and say, no, everything he did was because he was the Son of God. He was the Son of God. He is the Son of God. But he came to show us a pattern of submission and yielding to the Holy Spirit to work through us to work these signs and wonders through us. That's, or else, how could he have said, these works that you see me do, you shall do? If he was just the Son of God doing these works by, as the Son of God, then he wouldn't have told people afterwards that you can do the same works because they aren't the Son of God. They aren't the only begotten sons of God. And so, when Jesus was revealing those things to the woman at the well, he was operating in that gift of the Spirit, the Word of Knowledge. The Word of Knowledge is the Holy Spirit downloading specific information from God's omniscience into our finite minds. So it's a fragment of God's omniscience being downloaded into our finite minds. Number three, the gift of faith. The gift of faith is not saving faith. It is not by grace through faith are you saved. That is saving faith. That is a gift. It is a gift of faith that God gives you when you're saved. It's a faith that God drops into your spirit when you're saved, but it is not the gift of faith spoken of in the um, gifts of the spirit chapters of 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. It is not general faith. There's general faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans chapter 10. You can develop general faith. You can be built up in your most holy faith. That's faith that we've received a measure of it. Romans 12 3 says we all have a measure of this faith at salvation that we're charged to grow it. Galatians 5 also talks about the fruit of faithfulness. That is not to be confused with the gift of faith. The fruit of faithfulness is more to do with the character of faithfulness, the character of loyalty, the character of being faithful and enduring in faithfulness to God's purposes and plans. That is not faith as in the faith to move mountains. And it's not, like I said, it's not saving faith, it's not general faith, it's not the the, the fruit of faithfulness, first of all, a fruit can be grown, a fruit can be developed. All of these gifts are the fullness of God at a time. So when the gift of faith comes on you, you're actually operating in the supernatural, special, perfect faith of God in a moment of time. This gift is a supernatural operation of the Holy Spirit in the experience of the possessor, which enables him to sustain an unwavering trust in God that is beyond general faith. It's like a surge of God's faith alive in you that has the absence of doubt, the absence of wavering, the absence of, of unbelief. It is God's full, perfect faith operating through you there's no doubt there's no questioning there's no nothing there is a peace there is a rest and there's a quietness that comes on you this faith is always um this special faith the gift of special faith or the gift of god's faith that comes in, alive in a person as the spirit wills remember all these gifts are given and distributed as he wills this uh special kind of faith 
throughout the Bible, you can study, came on it, came on people in times of danger, in times of being pressed back into the wall and not knowing the way out. This special kind of faith always came at a time of great distress. What do I mean by that? Daniel, thrown into a lion's den. The Bible says that he was sleeping in the lion's den. And when Nebuchadnezzar came and said, or Darius came and said, has God delivered you? Daniel cried out, the Lord sent his angel to shut the mouths of lions because I trusted in my God or because he believed in his God. So obviously that was beyond general faith. He was thrown into the dens of lions. This gift of faith came on him. And remember, the gift of faith is a passive gift. The difference between the gift of faith and the working of miracles is that the working of miracles is God working through you, whereas the gift of faith is God working for you. There's no involvement on your behalf. Daniel didn't have to fight off the lions or else that would have been the working of miracles. Samson fought off the lions. Daniel just slept and the angel of the Lord kept the lions from touching him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They didn't have to do anything. They got thrown into the burning fiery furnace. That gift of faith was activated when they said, even if uh, our God is able to serve us and He will, is able to deliver us and He will deliver us and even if He doesn't deliver us, we'll never bow. When they were thrown into the, furni- the, bari- the burning fiery furnace, the Bible says the fourth man came alongside and they just walked and marched. The only thing that was burnt was the ropes on their hands. That was the gift of faith. That was beyond. They were faced with death and that gift came alive in them to keep them uh, from bowing. The gift of faith always is activated when there is an element of imminent danger. Acts chapter 27. Paul is shipwrecked, or they're, they're, they're about to be shipwrecked. They're, they set sail when Paul said not to set sail, and now they've been three weeks now not seeing the sun, and they all hope for, that they'd ever be saved was finally given up. Paul has a dream one night. The angel of the Lord comes to him and says, Be strong and be courageous. Be of good cheer. The Lord has granted your life and the life of everyone on this boat. Paul the next morning stands up, and by, this was the gift of faith. He says, take good courage, men, eat, nourish yourselves, for I believe God that it shall be exactly as I've been told. That was the gift of faith at work in Paul's life. It enabled him to have a supernatural confidence in God, no matter the evidence that he was seeing in the natural. This gift is required for the raising of the dead. Can't raise the dead without the gift of faith. Smith Wigglesworth, who carried this gift, Went into a funeral once, grabbed the guy by the, ch- the, the, the shirt, picked him up out of, the, out of his casket and slammed him on the, on the wall because the Lord told him to do it. Now that takes the gift of faith. It takes the gift of faith in the raising of the dead. You can't, nobody, you can't just go and do that. There has to be a special kind of faith that comes on you to do that. Or else you're, gonna, you're just going to go in with your own general faith and it's, you're going to look like a fool. And the gift of faith will oftentimes trigger the working of miracles and the gifts of healing. 
Because when Smith Wigglesworth raised the guy from the dead, a miracle was wrought. He was brought up by the brought up from the dead, and then the man was healed in his body. It's not like he rose from the dead and then died 15 minutes later from another heart attack. He rose from the dead and stayed healthy from that moment onward till he died of a natural, natural cause in old age. So the gift of faith is proven in the Old Testament. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You see it at work in... Um, you see it at work in Ezekiel's life, in a valley full of dry bones. Prophesy as I've commanded... Ezekiel prophesied to the dry bones, the dry bones. Ezekiel didn't have to do anything. He just released his faith, but it took supernatural faith. God gave him a special kind of faith in that very moment to prophesy those things to come, come to pass again. We see it in Elijah's life. Elijah speaks, there will be neither dew nor rain these three years except at my word. I mean, that, that's not gen generic faith. That's a special faith that came on Elijah to release that word over the entire land and it you can tell it was special faith because it produced a special result you don't see random people going around and calling that there, there, there's no rain for five years or for three years and it happening it takes a special level of faith there's a lot of people who try to act try to speak at that level of faith but they don't have that gift of faith that's provoking that that declaration or that that uh, confession and so there's no works, there's no results. But Elijah operated by that gift of faith and it produced, it produced something. Number four, gifts of the Holy Spirit, abilities that the Spirit gives people is the discerning of spirits. This is an interesting one. The discerning of spirit is to discern, to see, perceive, or hear anything in the spiritual realm. So, a lot of people, they just have kept this to mean the discerning of evil spirits. That the discerning of spirits is just the ability to discern demonic spirits. That is an aspect of the discerning of spirits. That is one of the functional uses of it. But the discerning of spirits is not primarily to discern demon spirits. It's the discerning of spirits in general. So there's three spirits at work in our universe. There is... Uh, angelic spirits there are demonic spirits and then there is the human spirit the discerning of spirits allows a person to see what is the motivational or what is the empowering factor behind what we're seeing here what do I mean by that if a miracle takes place but no mention of the name of Jesus is there no whatever Someone who carries the discerning of spirits will be able to see exactly what power was behind the manifestation of that miracle. Because the devil can operate, can do miracles. The devil, the Bible says that he does lying signs and wonders. Lying wonders and signs to influence people to follow him. You could see it in witchcraft and all that. There, there's, there is a certain level of power that the devil can operate in. Never lasts long, but there is a certain level of power that he can operate in. And so if you carry the discerning of spirits, you can see whether a, a, a supernatural manifestation was done by the Holy Ghost, done or done by, by, by the devil, done by demonic manifestation. 
I have to go through what the discerning of spirits is not before we get into what it is. The discerning of spirits is not the gift of discernment. It is not the ability to criticize. It is not you being judgmental. I, I believe I have the gift of discernment. I really don't think that outfit works well. You know, that's not what the gift of this, the, the, first of all, it's not the gift of discernment, it's the discerning of spirits. It's not the ability to, to discern a time or a season. It's not the ability to understand people. That's not what the discerning of spirits is. The discerning of spirits is not mind reading. That's actually a function of the word of knowledge. When you start to perceive people's thoughts, Jesus perceiving their thoughts said, which is better for me to say? He perceived their thoughts. He understood their reasoning. Um, that, that's a function of the word of knowledge. That's not the function of discerning of spirits. Many people are judgmental and they call it a gift. Many people think they criticize people and think they're operating in the gift of the spirit. They're not. They're actually just feeding off their fleshly lusts and, and appetites. This gift, as I said before, is literally the unveiling of our eyes to have access, to see in to the spiritual realm, to see what power is at work at any given moment. You see someone that comes, I've had it many times, somebody comes up to me and they, they say they have pain in their head or whatever. And then I'll, I'll see by the spirit that there is a demonic power at work. That this is not just uh, some physiological problem. It's not just migraines. There's a demonic power at work. Kenneth Hagin said that a lady was brought to him that had uh, stage 4 cancer in the lung and was down to very, very little weight. She was dying, given weeks to live. Brought to Hagen in his meeting and he went to pray for her just like he would for anybody. And then the Lord man uh, showed him by this discerning of spirits. Opened up his eyes and he said, I saw as if it was just me and her in a room. And there was a demon that was latched on to her left lung and was holding on for dear life. And I saw that that lung that was cancerous was caused by a demonic spirit. And so he cast the spirit out. And the healing took place. And she lived many, many years after that. So you can see that this discerning of spirits can actually work hand in hand with the gifts of healings. Because not all healing, uh, not all sicknesses are just, you know, poor health choices. Jesus, in Luke chapter 13, saw a lady that was bent over double. And he said, Satan's causing this. And it was a spirit of infirmity. He cast the spirit out and the, the, the lady was made straight and glorified God. So not all sicknesses are caused by poor choices or genetical uh, things passed down through the genes. One out of three sicknesses Jesus healed were caused by a demon spirit. Not everybody that's deaf is just uh, as a result of auditory nerves being damaged. Some of them it's a demon spirit. Jesus said thou deaf and mute spirit. So we have to, this gift of the Spirit actually helps us greatly in ministering to people. Paul exercised this gift of the Spirit, this gift of the Spirit, when he was walking in Acts chapter 16 to the hour of prayer, and there was a little sweet lady that was just saying, these men are servants of the Most High God. The Bible says, Paul looked, being greatly annoyed, and said to the Spirit. She was possessed by a spirit of divin divination, the Bible says, so Paul saw beyond her flesh and blood and saw the power at work in her life. Saw the manipulative force of this spirit of divination and dealt with it with force. 
and he cast out the demon. This discerning of spirits is needed in casting out demons. You can't cast out a demon you don't even know is there. And the devil loves to work in the shadows. The, the, the number one way demons stay in people is by just uh, evading ever being seen. The number one way the devil stays in people, demons stay in people, is by just seeming, uh, staying seemingly absent. I always say this, and it's a pretty famous quote. The, best, the greatest lie that the devil has ever sold to mankind is the lie that he doesn't exist. He absolutely does exist. But if he can get you that he doesn't exist, get you to believe that he doesn't exist, then you'll never deal with the core issue. You'll never deal with the root. So the discerning of spirits allows you to see into other people uh, beyond what the natural eye sees. It's like God pulls away the sheet, the veil, so we can see clearly what exactly is at work in this person? Another great use for the discerning of spirits is the ability to discern the human spirit. So we can discern demonic spirits. We can discern angelic spirits. Paul in Acts chapter 27 saw the vision of the, of the angel. Abraham. Uh, sorry, not Abraham. Jo Joshua in Joshua 7 saw the, a vision of an angel. We see... In uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's day, when they were in the, the burning fiery furnace, the fourth man was with them. That was a, a, a discerning of spirits. That was the pre-incarnate Christ. We see very clearly in Elisha's day, when he, told, when he prayed for his servant to, that God would open his eyes to see what he saw. When he saw, he looked behind him and saw the chariots of fire, the angels of the Lord round about uh, surrounding Elijah, Elisha. So that's the discerning of angelic spirits, but then there's the discerning of the human spirit. This is Jesus looking at Nathanael and saying, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no guile, there is no deceit. Jesus, by this gift, was able to see exactly what kind of spirit that Nathanael had. What a wonderful gift to have, especially if you have a, a, a business. You have a, a corporation and you're looking to expand and hire other people. It's a wonderful thing to be able to discern people's spirits, to see whether this guy's a fraudster, a liar. Acts chapter 13, G, uh, Paul looks at Bar-Jesus and says, You son of the devil, you full of all deceit. You, you son of the devil and full of all deceit, you full of wickedness. Paul, by the discerning of spirits, was able to see that Bar-Jesus, Elymas, was a, a, a full of all deceit. He was, a, he was a son of wickedness. That he had wicked intentions in his heart. That's a, that's a manifestation of the discerning of spirits. That's right, uh, Jolene said, the intentions of one's heart. You can see in, by this gift, the intentions of people's hearts. You can see what they're all about. Help you uh, with your human resources department. Where you're not always having to hire and rehire and fire and rehire. Because you keep hiring knuckleheads. It'll help you if your son or your daughter brings home a girl or a boy and they're up to no good. You can see right into their spirit. No, I, don't, I feel a check in my spirit with this one. I feel like they're promiscuous or I feel this. You're not going to see that person. Save people from a lot of, a lot of uh, heartbreaking.
Number five, the working of miracles. The working of miracles is a temporary suspension of natural law whereby God, by His Spirit, moves through a man to do supernatural things. Jesus worked miracles. He walked on water. Paul worked miracles. His handkerchiefs and aprons were brought from his body. There was, remember I said it, the gift of faith is passive. It receives a miracle. The working of miracles is active. It works the miracle. Moses is at the Red Sea. He's told by God to take his rod and wave it over the sea. As he does it, the sea splits. That wasn't the gift of faith because Moses had to do something. The working of miracles implies your cooperation with God to fulfill a supernatural task or assignment. Samson took the jawbone of a donkey and killed a thousand Philistines. Impossible in human strength, but by the working of miracles through his life, he was able to do it. Elijah, by the hand of the Lord coming on him, overran, outran, sorry, the, the chariots of Ahab. He did that by the working of miracles. That can't be done any other way. There's no human strength that can outrun a horse. This man, by... The, the power of the Holy Ghost through the working of miracles did it. Jesus fed the 5,000. He took the bread. You know, a lot of people say, well, you know, in those days, the bread was a lot larger than the bread today. And so it's only natural that he was able to feed 5,000. They try to explain away the supernatural out of the Bible. Anyone that does that, beware. Because if that was the case, first of all, it was a little boy's lunch. What kind of little boy is carrying massive loaves of bread that can feed 5,000 people? Like, who is this kid? Secondly... Uh, second, first of all, it was a little boy's lunch. Secondly, how could that little boy carry that much bread to a wilderness? And the Bible says they had tarried with him for three days. It would have been, it's abnormal. It would have been, uh, that's an, it's, more, it's, more, it's more difficult. I'd have more problems believing that than just believing that Jesus worked a miracle, that he took five simple loaves of bread, broke it, and fed 5,000 people, not counting women or children. That was a working of miracles. There was something Jesus had to do. The working of miracles oftentimes produces a, a, a financial provision. It produces financial provision, financial prosperity. The working of miracles in 2 Kings 4. That widow that had the debtors coming to take away her and her sons. Unless she paid up her husband's debt. Elisha says, go into the house. Gather vessels all around town and start to pour out the vessel of oil that you do have. As you do, the oil will keep flowing. She had to work her miracle. She had just said, well, you know what? I'm just going to believe God. It, not, the miracle would have never happened. She had to go and take the vessel of oil and pour it out. As she did that, as she did that, the, uh, the oil flowed. She worked her own miracle. Acts chapter 3, Peter and John. Silver and gold we have not, such as we do have, we give unto you. He lifted him up by his right hand. That was the working of miracles. There was a work that had to be done. It's not the waiting for miracles. It's not the hoping for miracles. It's not the believing for miracles. It's the working of miracles. Elisha took a branch and he threw it into a body of water when someone had lost his borrowed axe head in that body of water. When Elisha threw the branch in, the axe head lifted. That's goes against the laws of nature. That's what a miracle is. The mir Don't ever try to naturalize a miracle. Well, you see, sometimes miracle is just in modern science. That's not, a miracle is not the advancement of modern science. A miracle is something that suspends the laws of nature to give way to the supernatural laws. A miracle is something that cannot be done through 
any natural means or method. Nobody can walk on water. doesn't matter how far modern science comes, you'll never walk on water. Jesus walked on water. There's two purposes for this gift. It's going to, number one, stimulate new faith in God. And number two, it's going to confound the wicked. When a miracle happens, people will either, one, hook, line, and sinker, believe in God, go all in with God, or they're going to... Sorry, not, they're not going to either. These two things happen simultaneously. People will... There will be a faith stimulated in people's hearts towards God, and then there will be like a... A frustration done on the house of the wicked. When Moses waved his rod and the sea split, that was the working of miracles. They came through. That same miracle that opened up the sea is the same miracle that swallowed up Israel's enemies. Number six, gifts of the Spirit. Gift of the Spirit is the gifts of healing. This is not advancements of medical science. It's not somebody's ability to be a doctor, it's not somebody's uh, ability to care and nurse other people. That's not what the gifts of healing is. The gifts of healing, as every other gift is, is a supernatural gift by which one is ministering healing to another. Now, there's, there are different ways to receive healing that you can find in the Bible. Number one, the best way, in my opinion, is to receive it just from hearing His Word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. He sent forth His Word. His Word did heal them and deliver them from destruction. But then you can, there's the laying on of hands. So these are ways that the gifts of healings uh, operate in people's lives. So there's the way you can receive healing just by faith in God's word. But then the gifts of healing is not just receiving it simply by hearing the word of God. These gifts of, heal, gifts of healings, which by the way, it's a pluralistic form because um, I believe that there are many different types of gifts of healings uh, that cover different diseases, different sicknesses, different illnesses. Why do I say that? Because I've seen certain men operate tremendously in healing certain classes of sicknesses and disease, but then they were pretty much useless in other areas. Like George Jeffries, when it came to rheumatoid arthritis, ne nearly everybody that came to his meeting with rheumatoid arthritis was healed. But he didn't have much success in other areas. God, I believe that there are different gifts and categories within the subheading of the gifts of healings. Kenneth Hagin said I, when he would minister in the gifts of healings, people with tumors or boils or growth or whatever, cancerous growths, lumps, they would be supernaturally dissolved. But then he didn't have success with other things. That's not to say he didn't see... Other healings take place in his ministry just by preaching the word and then acting on the word of God that they shall lay hands on the sick and sick shall recover. But remember, these are special manifestations of the Holy Spirit. This isn't just having a healing service and just by faith uh, praying over people and just acting on God's word. This is a, there's a, it's a special unction. When the gifts of healing is in operation, I will say, and I've seen this happen several times in my own meetings. Nearly everybody in the building gets healed. Nearly everybody. There, there is a, a huge percentage of people that get healed when I feel this gift in operation. It's like there's electricity running through my hands and everybody that I'm touching is getting shocked. Uh, or Robert said when he'd feel his hand heat up that this gift was, was in operation and he'd just lay hands on people and 
more people than ever would get healed in those meetings than any other meetings. So I believe that there are different gifts of healings that deal with different categories and classes of sicknesses and diseases. So the gifts of healings can be ministered through laying on of hands, the anointing with oil, James chapter 5, and also through the spoken word. I'm not just saying declaring the word of God in faith. I'm talking about a special unction that comes on you. Like Jesus in Matthew chapter 8. He tells the centurion, go your way as you have believed, so let it be done to you. And his, his servant that was dreadfully tormented and paralyzed at home was healed supernaturally at that moment. That wasn't just, the, you know, it took the centurion's faith. That was maybe the gift of faith working in the centurion. But it was the gifts of healing flowing through Jesus that allowed him to speak that word. And remember, he sent his word and he healed them and delivered them from all their destruction. God is the stream, we're his channels. And I didn't read it today because I didn't get into like a, really a, an in-depth teaching on the gifts of the Spirit, just pretty much covering it today. But 1 Corinthians 12 says there are diversities of gifts but the same Spirit, meaning there's different gifts. We've went through, uh, we're going to go through seven of them right now. I'm not going to go through the other two because I did a broadcast uh, recording I released yesterday on YouTube on tongues and interpretation and stuff. So you can go and watch that. But there are diversity of gifts, working of miracles, gifts of faith, but it's the same spirit. So what Paul is saying, the, the origin of these gifts, the source of power for these gifts is the Holy Ghost. Then he says, there are diversity of ministries, but the same Lord. There's apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, but it's the same Lord. It's Jesus Christ that calls people into ministry. You don't call yourself. And then he says, and I love this, there are diversities of operations or administrations, but it is the same God who worketh all in all. That's saying there's different ways the, the Holy Ghost works through people. And you shouldn't criticize someone's methods when the end result is the same. There's too many people that get hung up on people's methods. Well, he, he laid hands on all those people. I need him to lay hands on me. Unless he lays hands on me, it's not going to work. Jesus spat on the ground, made clay one time. A guy that was blind had his sight come back. But then in another time, he just gave a word. And then in another time, he laid hands on somebody. And then in another time, he just, he, he, he dipped his finger on his tongue and then dipped it on the man's tongue and the man's impediment in his speech was loose so the methods can be different the operation the 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 uh, manner used to minister healing or miracles to other people might be different but don't criticize somebody's methods if the results are the same that was the problem they had with jesus mark 5 he casts out a demon out of a person who had over 2,000 demons. The Bible says when the people of that town came and saw the man sitting clothed in his right mind and had heard how Jesus had delivered the man, they begged him to, de to, to depart from their region. So they had no, no problem with the man being delivered. They had a problem with how Jesus delivered the man. They didn't like his methods. A lot of times people criticize methods because they're not like me. Oh, he doesn't know. You know, Catherine Kuhlman, she was odd. She operated in a very different way than I operated. But it doesn't matter what her methods was. The power of God was, uh, was, was in operation. And so we are, God is the stream. We're just channels. And there's different flavors, different, different, uh, different characters people have. And God honestly uniquely works with people's 
personalities and traits. Smith Wigglesworth would ball up his fist and punch somebody who had a tumor and the tumor would drop off. Are we going to criticize his means? No. He worked, these gifts worked through his own character and though the, the, the operation or the administration of the gift might be different, the end result was the same. I'll finish with this prophecy. Paul says, earnestly covet spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. What is prophecy? Prophecy is inspired utterance by the Holy Spirit. As I said before, it's not foretelling the future. That, in the general sense of the word prophecy or prophesying, yes, it could have aspects of foretelling, but this specific gift in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 is dealing with inspired utterance, which if you study the Hebrew word for prophecy, it's to flow forth or to bubble up from within like a fountain. It is the Holy Ghost taking over your tongue to speak a word of encouragement, exhortation, edification, or comfort. It's not the ability to preach, although preaching could, you could preach and the gift of prophecy come on you to prophesy as you're preaching. I've done that many times. Many of my broadcasts, uh, I begin to prophesy. You know, when I start going off and saying, you're going to make it, God's, if God before you, who can be against you? And I feel an, an utterance, an inspiration coming and bubbling up from within to speak those things. That's the gift of prophecy at work. But not all preaching is prophesying. There's a difference between also the, the gift of prophecy and the office of the prophet. Paul says, are we all prophets? Certainly not. We're not all prophets, but he does say we should all prophesy. So obviously there's a distinction between the office of prophet and the ability to prophesy. We should all seek to prophesy, but just because you prophesy does not mean you're a prophet. As I said before, the office of the prophet, they dealt with the revelation gifts, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, and discerning of spirits. Uh, somebody's ability to prophesy in the context of 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 does not qualify you as a prophet. It just means that you're being used in the plan of God to bring edification to somebody. Prophets function in the word of God, the word of wisdom, predicting future events. They're the mouthpiece of God on the earth. But to prophesy, anybody can prophesy. And someone just asked, so should we pray for these gifts? It's exactly what I'm going to get into right now. How do I want, operate in these gifts? So I just defined briefly all these, these seven gifts. The other two, I, I, I told you, I released a recording yesterday where you can watch that. But how do you operate in these, in these gifts? How do you trigger these gifts? Well, first and foremost, I'll say every gift is faith activated. That's not the gift of faith. But you have to use your general faith to activate these gifts in your life. You can't step out. You cannot stay in the boat and expect to walk on water. You have to step out in faith, in your general faith, to see these, uh, these gifts operate in your life. But I will say, the way that you tap in to the uh, operation of these gifts, Paul said it very clearly in 1 Corinthians Chapter 12, the end of the chapter, and then beginning in chapter 14. Earnestly desire the greater gifts. The Bible says that we are to covet spiritual gifts. That word covet in the Greek is zelu, 
which means to burn for passion after. These gifts aren't going to be automatically dropped on you. They're not just going to be deposited in you at will. They're not just going to, you know, I read, I, I, I quoted it before that God distributes these things as the Spirit wills. And I agree. But the good news is, is God wills to distribute these things and He distributes them not at random. He distributes them upon people who have panted for them. You're never going to operate in a gift that you don't hunger, hunger for. You don't see people that bash healing automatically operate in the gifts of healing. It doesn't work that way. There has to be a panting. He that hungers and thirsts after righteousness, he shall be filled. Jesus prayed and fasted, and he returned in the power of the Spirit unto Galilee. One of the ways we demonstrate spiritual hunger to God is by praying and fasting. As we do that, God begins to unlock these diverse gifts in our life. And I want to, I, this is my firm stance and conviction uh, regarding the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I don't believe anybody possesses the gift in that he can automatically just jump off in it at any time. I don't believe anybody had, like almost like it's a scout's badge. That he, oh man couple of more days of fasting and prayer and I'm going to get the working of miracles on me. Praise the Lord. I don't believe that's how it works. Because people ask me, well, what's the best gift? What's the most important gift? The most important gift is the one you need at that moment of time. So if somebody is in need of healing, what does it matter if I discern? What does it matter if I, if I, uh, if I give a word of prophecy or a word of wisdom predicting his future? That's not what he needs. He needs healing. So the gift that's most important is the one that you're in need of to minister to others at that moment in time. So I don't believe you, you just have gifts. I believe that as you keep yourself in tune with the Holy Ghost and you keep your spiritual sensitivity at an all-time high and you're praying and fasting regularly and you've yielded yourself to the, to the Spirit of God, I believe at any time when the opportunity arises for ministry to certain individuals or peoples or regions or whatever. I believe they're just like a tool belt. These gifts are at your disposal and the Holy Ghost will distribute this gift to you when it's needed most. Working of miracles, when it's needed most, the Lord will, 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 will steer you up, will inspire you to operate in that gift in that particular moment to work a miracle. For the edifying of the body of Christ, for the church, for the edifying of a person, to point them to Christ. I will say, you know, 1 Corinthians 12 says that no man speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is a curse. And no man can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit of God. What was Paul saying? He wasn't saying that if someone's demonized, they can't say Jesus is Lord. What he was saying is that in the Corinthian church at that time, there were a lot of people that were operating by demonic spirits and they in the church setting, we're calling Jesus anathema, which is accursed. And he was saying when Paul was correcting them, saying if anybody's calling Jesus anathema, they're not operating by the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit. It's a demonic spirit at work. So cast them out. No man can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit, and no man speaking by the Spirit We'll, we'll, uh, we'll say Jesus is a curse. 
Paul was saying, when the gifts of the Holy Spirit are in operation, they're going to point people to Christ. They're going to bring conviction on people. Like 1 Corinthians 14 says, they will fall on their faces and report that God is truly among you when they see these gifts at work in your life. So the Holy Spirit is not pointing people away from Christ. The chief ministry of the Spirit is to point people to Christ. And this is the way He does it through His church, through vessels that are yielded to Him. That's why Paul tells Timothy, sanctify yourself, cleanse yourself, purify yourself, so that you might be a vessel for honorable use, useful and prepared unto every good work. I live prepared that at any moment's time, no matter what opportunity arises, no matter what problem comes my way, no matter who comes my way, with whatever they're struggling with. I have a direct line. I'm connected with heaven. I've yielded myself, submitted myself to the Holy Ghost, and He can flow through me however well, however He wants to. And I'll say, I'll finish with this. You can never operate in a gift that you don't sit under. So there are people that operate more efficiently and recurrently in certain gifts than others. I know people that oftentimes they operate in the gift of faith. I know other people that oftentimes they operate in the working of miracles. So what do I do? I listen, I sit under their ministries when they're in, so that when they're operating in that gift, I'm, I'm watching exactly how they're moving, what they're doing. I watch exactly how they flow with the Holy Ghost, what they don't do. I watch Oral Roberts all the time. I watch A. A. Allen. I watch these guys. What did they do that unlocked so many miracles in their lives? How did they, how did this working of miracles work through them? And as you learn from them, you'll find out there'll be an impartation on you. That's part of craving. That's part of coveting earnestly the greater gifts. It's by observing people who are operating in those greater gifts. So how do you operate in those gifts? I'd say number one, you need to fast and pray. That's a demonstration of your hunger for God in the uh, in the uh, for the operation of these gifts. Number two, I'd say sit under a gift. Sit under the one, the gifts that you want to operate in your life. Sit under people that are are walking that out practically. And then number three, I would say to study the Gospels and the Book of Acts and see how Jesus worked in miracles. See how Jesus ministered healing. See, people ask me all the time, how do I increase the anointing for these things? It's very easy, actually. There's no formula, you know, seven steps. You need to wake up at 5 a.m., have communion every day, pray for three hours. The anointing increases as you get around the anointed. <laughs> and the anointed one is Jesus Christ. When you read the Gospels, and you, I'm not talking about reading like a story. I'm talking about scrutinizing it. To its very detailed, uh, to the very details of it. And you start to read how Jesus walked, how he spoke, how he, as you do that, you're gonna see the anointing rise up in you to do the same works. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji, or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you and until next time.